Excited that we get to be here and gather today uh, freely without the threat of persecution. Uh, just remember that there's many brothers and sisters all over the world today that are gathering to celebrate Easter, and that's not the case. But we get to do so, and we get to openly proclaim the gospel and what Jesus has done, and so I'm very excited that we get to do that. And as we do that today and we think about that, I want us just to think about uh, how the resurrection of Jesus Christ addresses all of our deepest needs. It answers all our deepest fears. It puts those to rest and uh, it, it gives us great, uh, uh, gives us a great opportunity for joy, much more so than anything else, the deepest possible joy. And, and in the resurrection, all of that is found. And so I want us to think about that this morning. If you've been with us, uh, if you're a member here, a regular attender, you know, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're actually going to set that aside just for one week this week. We'll get back to that next week. Uh, and, and I wanted to do that as we think about the resurrection this morning. And we're going to do so by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, which Chris read for us just a minute ago. But before we get to that, I do maybe a connection here from 1 Corinthians to what we're going to talk about today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And so what Paul says is that if Jesus has not been physically raised from the dead, then this is all a great, big, huge waste of time. What we do here each week and us gathering today, that if Jesus hasn't been physically raised, we might as well go home. In fact, in verse 19 of that same chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul says we should be pitied if he's not been raised. And so I want us just to think about that this morning. Why that is the case, why the resurrection is so important to our faith and what we believe and why we gather together today. And I want us also to think about how it answers our greatest needs and our greatest fears and gives us this greatest possible joy. And I want us to consider that as we as we spend our time today. And I want you just to be thinking if, if these things are true, if Jesus has been raised for the dead and it gives us uh, great joy and all the things that it promises if Jesus has been raised from the dead, I want you just to consider this. What you think about Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection is infinitely more important than what you think about anything else. I want you just to let that rest on you for a second as we begin this morning. And you may say that's a little bit over the top. Maybe a, a little bit melodramatic. The most important thing possible ever. And I tell you that's. That's not the case, but oftentimes people speak that way, even within the church. Sometimes we'll talk about the resurrection or we'll talk about Jesus and you'll hear things like, well, yeah, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great example and he taught us how to love one another and he taught us all these great things and we should emulate him and we should look to him and all these things. But the whole son of God thing, not too sure about that. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you come here kind of with that in your back. Yeah, Jesus is a good guy, but this whole resurrection from the dead thing, really? And so sometimes we say that, or, or maybe you say, and I've heard this a lot, I'll hear people that, yeah, Jesus is a great guy, I like him, but come on, we're modern people. We know from science that you can't raise from the dead. That can't happen. And so people will dismiss it on grounds like that. Or, or I have uh, a neighbor, a friend that will tell me, he'll say, well, maybe it happened and maybe it didn't. I'm not sure. I'm open to the possibility. Maybe there's more to it than I think. But the important thing is what Jesus taught us, and it's to love one another and that. And so because of that, it doesn't really matter if the resurrection happened or not. We just follow Jesus' teachings and do the best we can. And so there's all those different 
things that pop up. And to some of those, I would say, yes, Jesus is a wonderful example. And yes, Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. And yes, Jesus showed us how to love one another. And he showed us all these things and he should be looked to and emulated and followed and all those things. But if you take all those and then you come to the conclusion that the resurrection doesn't really matter based on that, I just simply say to you, no, that can't be. It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Our faith is futile and we are still in our sins if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And so that is the most important central thing to what we believe. And so I want us to think about that this morning. And I just simply say that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so we gather to proclaim that and talk about why that is so important and what that means for us and why that is the best news and why it answers all our deepest needs and all of those things I just mentioned. And so this morning, and to do that, I want us just to spend time in a few verses in First Peter chapter 1. But before we do, let's pray, and then we'll look at those verses together. Lord, we thank you for the glory that is the resurrection, the glory that is your Son. And we thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray this morning that we would see that afresh. That if we do know you and we have put our faith in you, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts that we would see it in a new way today that we would trust you all the more. If there's some here today that don't know you and are maybe skeptical, I pray that your spirit would reveal the truth of the resurrection of the power of Christ to us today. We pray that you would move in this place, that you would apply this text to our hearts and our lives, and that you would show us what you want us to see this morning in your perfect word. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. And so as we begin, as we talk about that and think about that this morning, uh, three things that I want to show you and, and think about here in First Peter. And so the, there are three things. And, and by the way, I, towards the back of your bulletin, we actually put an outline in there. If you want to follow along or you're somebody that that helps visually to see that or you take notes or whatever, however you listen or however that is, that's there for you. But these three things I'm talking about are, are there for you. And the three things that the resurrection does is one, it gives us a future. And I go ahead and say it gives us a glorious future, not just a future, but a glorious future Two, it gives us a living hope. And third, it gives us an unshakable joy. And so it gives us a glorious future. It gives us a living hope and an unshakable joy, a joy that's greater than all else. And so I want us just to think about those three things. But we're going to start with the future first. We're going to start with the ends that comes through the resurrection, because when we have our ends and we see that it works backwards and, and it brings all these other things into clear focus for us. And so the future that we have in Christ because of the resurrection, if you look at first Peter chapter one, verses three four and five with me. And it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed In the last time. And in those three verses, Peter says a lot, a huge amount about the resurrection and what happens as a result of Jesus's resurrection for us. And he tells us that our future is this, that we are going to be made new, born again to a living hope. We are made new and the results of that are a salvation and an inheritance that is beyond all comprehension. That is the future that you have in Christ because of the resurrection. You place your faith in, faith in him and that's what's to come if you are in Christ. 
And I want us just to think about that for a second. Start with the the first part that our future in Christ is that we are made new or we are born again. Depending on your background, you may hear born again and go, oh, it's one of those churches. Born again Christians. Right. If you've ever heard that before and some people go, oh, I'm not sure about that whole thing. I would just submit to you if you read through scripture and you look at what it says. There's either there's born again Christians and or you're not a Christian. What the Bible teaches is that Christ and what he's done makes us alive, that we were dead in our sins and he makes us alive. And so oftentimes we miss that or we go, oh, I'm not sure about that. And it's it's just a basic misunderstanding on what scripture teaches about what God does for us through Christ. C.S. Lewis said it so well when he said it like this. He said, Jesus didn't come to give us better information to make us better people. He came to make us new. There's a difference there. Jesus came to make us new. And so what, what we see here is when we think about our future in Christ is that we are made new in what Christ has done. And that's, that's the beginning part of our future in Christ. And I want you just to see that right here and make sure you get that to what God has done for us, that he makes us new. It's right there in verse three. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Or then in verse five, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so what happens is God is the one making us new through the resurrection and through what Jesus has done. He is making us new. And so the question becomes, why? Why isn't that Jesus is just an example? Why is it that we can't say, well, Jesus came and what he taught's the important part in the resurrection doesn't really matter. Why is that? Why is it something that God has to do through Jesus and his resurrection that this happens? And to understand that, we need to understand who we are and who God is. Right? If we fall into, I just need some better information to be a better person, we're missing who we are and who God is. And what I mean by that is simply this. Let's start with who we are. Who we are as people is simply put as we are sinful people. Sinful means that we've ignored God and his world. Every single one of us here is in that same boat. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'll start with me. That's me. We've ignored God and his world over and over. God made all things and he set us in this and he says, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to know me and to love me and trust me. And what do we do is we say, I think I'm good on my own. Thanks, but no thanks. Or, yeah, okay, God, yeah, you've got some good ideas on these things, but when it comes to these areas over here, I'm going to go on my own. And so we ignore God and his world over and over, and the results are we have turned our back on our creator, the very one that made all things, that holds all things together. And in doing so, there's a chasm between us and God. And the reason is simply this, and this is where we get to who God is versus who we are. God is perfect. He's perfect in every way. And so when we decide to ignore him and go against him, then not only is he perfect in every way, now he's perfect so much so that our sin, our ignoring him, our rebellion against him has to be dealt with. That's what we often talk about in the Bible is God's wrath resting on those that have turned their backs on him. And we don't like to hear that, right? Because because what that paints is a picture is that we can't make our way back to God. We can't do it. I can't do enough good works. I don't need better information that I apply to my life so that I can earn my way back to God because I can't do that. The chasm is so great because we have turned our backs on him. 
And we know this. If we're really honest with ourselves, we know this in our life. The Bible says clearly that our conscience bears witness to this. If we're real honest, we know that we've made mistakes and we've done things wrong and we've ignored God. Uh, we see it in our lives in the way that we try to do things. We, our conscience gets on us and so we try to do things to assuage our guilt and we do things like uh, we volunteer and we go out and we try to help others and we do things and then it makes us feel better about who we are. Look at what I did. Right? And we all do that at different times and, we, and we, we try to pretend like we're doing it out of pure motives and a lot of times we're doing it to make ourselves feel better. I need to do some things so that I'm okay with God. And we do it in all different ways, whether it's volunteering or good deeds or maybe coming to church or coming to church on Easter. I haven't been in a while. I should probably get there. God may not be happy with me. Maybe I need to get to church, assuage my guilt a little bit. Yeah, I'll earn some points with God if I go. And so we start to fall into the lie that we just need some better information. We just need some good deeds. We just need to do some things to make ourselves okay with God. And we start to fall into that category and we start to do that. And I want you just simply to tell you the reason that Peter says that it's according to his great mercy that he's caused us to be born again, that he does this through the resurrection. And what Jesus does is simply because we cannot do it ourselves. And so if you come today and you think, oh, I should be in church because it's Easter. I'll earn some brownie points with God and then I'll be I'll feel a little better about myself. I would be uh, I wouldn't be loving if I didn't tell you this. You cannot approach the God of the Bible like that. In fact, Romans chapter 10 says that if you try to earn your righteousness, that is your right standing before God by your works. These are not my words. This is God's word. You are ignorant of God. You don't understand the God that you're approaching. And I know that sounds somewhat harsh, but that is who we are and that is who God is. We can't earn our way back to him. I was trying to think of an example, and this may even sound silly, and that's kind of the point. But it's kind of like saying, I'm going to swim to the moon. Right? That's absurd. Right? If I told you that, I'm going to swim. That's, that's the same thing as saying, I'm going to earn my right standing before God. You cannot do it. It's not possible. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that that's the case. In fact, the scriptures takes it even a step further. In Ephesians 2 or John 3, it tells us that apart from Christ and what he's done for us, trying to earn on our own, God's wrath rests on us. Ephesians 2 calls us children of wrath apart from what Jesus has done. That's pretty serious things that scripture says. And I realize you come... An Easter, joyful, wonderful, and then I beat you with, you can't do it. And your children are wrath apart from Christ. But until we see that, until we understand that, we can't understand how great the resurrection and what Jesus did on the cross is for us. Because without that, without the resurrection, without what Jesus has done for us, we're left as children of wrath, not being able to get back to God. And you were made to be in a relationship with God and you can't do it without him. And not until we begin to see that do we get what's going on with the resurrection. That he causes us 
to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want us to think about why that's the case. And to understand the resurrection, you have to understand what happened on the cross before you get to the resurrection. Some of you you here were with us on Friday night. We gathered on Friday night what we call Good Friday. Jesus was crucified on Friday and then the empty tomb was Sunday morning. And as we came together on Friday, what we said and what we talked about and what we what we heard as we listened to a dramatic retelling of the cross was simply this, is that that God didn't leave us hopeless, even though we can never earn. He came to us in Jesus and he lived a perfect life in every way. He loved God perfectly and he loved man perfectly and he did all of it. And then he willingly went and laid his life down on the cross. Now, this is the important part. A lot of times we say that Jesus died for our sins. We talk in Christian language as he took my sins on the cross. But we really have to understand what's going on there to get the resurrection. Jesus becomes a sacrifice for us so that God can be both just and merciful at the same time because God is perfect in every way. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes not for his sins because he didn't have any. He goes for mine and for yours, any that will put his faith in. In in Christ, he says, I will take your sins and I will bear it and I will pay for it for you. And that's what he does. And that's what Peter will say a chapter later here in first Peter. He says he bore our sins, our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And so what happens on the cross is Jesus goes to the cross and he says, I will take your sins for you so that you can be restored to God. You can have perfect relationship with the God of the universe. And he says, I'll take your sins for you and I'll do it. And he does. That is the way we're made new. Now, how the resurrection comes into that is the resurrection shows us that it was acceptable to God. That it works, that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and that sin could be dealt with. The Bible clearly says that the wages of sin is death. Or in Romans 5, it says one man sinned and so sin spread to all men, so all men die. Right? That is the wages of sin. But when Jesus rose from the dead, the wages of sin no longer have to be death. He paid for it. He paid for the wrath of God. He paid for all that we deserve. And he says, I do it for you. And now I can offer it to you. According to my great mercy, I can cause you to be raised from the dead. I can do it. That's what he's saying. And that's what Peter's telling us. By God's power, I can guard it through faith. All you have to do is put your faith in what Jesus does for you and I will raise you. I will give you a new life. I'm not going to give you better information and set you up for something that you could never do that will just end in failure. He says, no, I'll do it for you and then I'll give it to you. And all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. And that's the the beauty of the resurrection. And until we get who we are and who God is, we don't get the fullness of what he's done for us. But when we do and we put our faith in. In Jesus, he says, look at what I'm going to give you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the dead. He says, I'm going to give you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'm going to give you a future that is so far beyond anything you can imagine. I want you just to think about those words that he says, imperishable. That is no death. 
No sickness, no dying, no winding now, no problem. All those things are going to be gone because of what Jesus has done. It says unfading, undefiled, undefiled. No more mistakes. No more sin. No more ignoring God and his world. He says, I will remake you new and you will do all these things lovingly and wonderfully and it will be perfect. And he says, that is the future that I give you. And so I want us just to think about how that meets our deepest needs and our deepest fears and our deepest wants and all those things that I talked about at the very beginning. I want you just to think for just a second, what's the worst possible thing that can happen to you in this life? I was reading a bunch of articles this week in different uh, polls and they asked people, and what's the biggest fear? And, and, and I read a whole bunch of different ones and a lot of different ones, but you put them all together and what you get is number one is death. We're afraid of dying. In fact, on some of those polls, death wasn't number one, but then I read in one of them where psychologists were saying the only reason it's ever not number one is because people don't talk about it. They ignore it. They pretend like it doesn't exist and it's not there. But even as I was reading through and I read all these different ones, the other ones that kept coming up were, were a rejection and failure and ridicule and all these different things that are our greatest fears. And what, what the resurrection shows us is that God has answered every single one of those and what Jesus has done for us. See, all our fears and all our frustrations and all our uh, scared of, of being rejected, all our fears of death stem from being at odds with the God of the universe because we've sinned, because we've turned our backs, because our conscience bears witness to it, because we know it in all these ways. And in the resurrection of Jesus, God has taken and he's come down and he's, and he's been the perfect sacrifice and he restores us to God and he says, I will deal with all that. The wages of sin no longer has to be death, it's eternal life. You put your faith in Jesus. I will never reject you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I've got you in every way, no matter what. And it's not dependent on your works. And so when you struggle with how do I do this or my conscience bears witness and all these things. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. You put your faith in me and I will make you new. I will do this work in you. And so we start to see that, that, that through the resurrection, he's done this for us. And that's why it says, according to his great mercy, he's caused you to be born again. It's only through what Jesus does for you. It's held and kept for you by God's power through faith. It's faith in what Jesus has done. And so our future in Christ, if you put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, is you're going to be made new and you're going to be given an inheritance Beyond all that you can imagine and you're going to have a salvation. God's wrath is removed because he poured it out on Christ for you. Jesus gave you that. And so when we start to think about that in the ends of our future in Christ, I want us just to think about what about our hope? What does that do for our hope and our joy? Just day to day, our hope. You know, when we talk about hope, you know, the resurrection completely changes our hope. Now, when we talk about hope, In our English language, oftentimes we don't have what the Bible is talking about in hope. Right? When we say hope, we often say things like, "Ah, I hope my team wins today. Right? I watched basketball this afternoon. I hope, whatever. I hope Louisville beats Duke. Really don't like Duke. But I hope Louisville beats Duke. Right? And so we say things like that. Kind of a wishy washy. It's it's kind of an optimism. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it defines hope. Hope is a confident assurance in what is to come. And the resurrection gives us that. 
Because Jesus has defeated sin and death, and so it gives us a rock-solid confidence in what is to come for those that are in Christ. I'll give you an example. I just mentioned I I like basketball. I'm a basketball fan. I went to Texas A&M. I'm an Aggie. Uh, They joined the SEC this year. Very early in the year, they were playing at Kentucky. Right? Kentucky defending national championships. They lose very rarely. Uh, Kentucky ended up not being that good this year, but I didn't know that at the time, and so I was very excited that A&M was playing Kentucky. And I recorded the game because I had to leave and I didn't get to watch all of it. And I left and I came back and later uh, I got busy, didn't get to watch it later. The next day I checked the score and A&M won. They beat Kentucky at Kentucky and I couldn't believe it. I didn't expect them to do this and I was so excited. I was like, great. And I read the box score. A&M's best player scored 45 points and he missed three shots the entire game. And so I went, I need to go back on my DVR and watch this. Right? Otherwise, I would have been like, oh, I'm not watching that. But I went back and I watched it. And so I'm watching the game and there's ups and downs and it gets closer at different points. And they get behind and then there's five minutes left and they're behind. But they show on the thing. The best player's got 35 points and he's already missed three shots. And they're behind with five minutes left. And I just sat there and smiled and said, he's going to make every shot the rest of the way. And he's going to score 10 points and they're going to win the game. That is a biblical hope because of what Jesus has done for us. I know the ends. The ends are death has been defeated and sin has been defeated because Jesus' resurrection proves it. And so each day when there's ups and downs and trials and frustrations, I go, I know how this ends. And that doesn't mean there's not hard times and it doesn't mean there's not trials. Actually, Peter actually says that in verse 6. You rejoice, though, for a little while. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. But I know the ends. And so my hope, when I put my hope in the certainty of Christ and what he's done, nothing can shake that. I have a hope that is unshakable in all things. You know, oftentimes we miss that, though, and we start to put our hope in other things. I was, I was watching part of the film, if you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. It came out years ago. It was a movie about a guy who goes to jail for a crime he didn't commit. And he's sitting in jail, and he's frustrated, and he's been in there for 20 years for something he didn't do. And he's talking about this idea of hope with one of his friends. And the, his friend, played by Morgan Freeman, looks up at him and he says, uh, hope is a dangerous thing. He says, it does you no good in here. And he's talking about in prison. And he tells him, he just says, you need to cut that out. You need to quit dreaming about getting out because you're never getting out. He says hope is a dangerous thing. And I thought about what he was saying in that movie. And when we put our hope in things that can't live up to what we're placing on them, it is a dangerous thing. When you look for fulfillment in your life based on your job or how much money you make or your standing in society, that is a dangerous thing. Because it will fail you. The same is true if you look for a hope for joy and happiness in a spouse or in your children or some dream or the certain house with a white picket fence and two kids and a dog, whatever it is, that will ultimately disappoint you. Now, that doesn't mean to say that joy doesn't come from those things. Those are good gifts that God gives us, and there's much joy that comes from those. But if you put your ultimate hope in those things, you'll be disappointed. It's very dangerous Because they can't measure up and the only thing that can, the only hope that is absolutely certain and secure is what Jesus has done for you on the cross and through his resurrection. Because in that he has restored you to relationship with the God of the universe and God meets all your needs 
far beyond anything you can imagine. All the things you're looking for in all those other areas, God ultimately fulfills. And it's only in that, it's only when we see that, that we have access to the God of the universe through what Jesus has done for, and that's what you were made for, the one that fills all your desires in ways that you can never imagine will you ever have the fullness of hope. But when you do, when that living hope comes flooding into your life, when you put your faith in Christ and you see what he's done, that takes us to the last part of where we are. What happens is joy, a joy beyond all that you can imagine. And that's exactly what Peter says here. When you are aligned with the creator of your soul, the one that holds all things together, there is a joy so far beyond anything else. And that's what he says in verse eight. Though you've not seen him talking about Jesus. What do you think about that? Though you've not, I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen his face. But when he says this, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and you rejoice. I know that. I do love him. I am so excited that I get to stand here and tell you that on Easter. Everything you desire in your life is in Christ. What a gift to be able to stand up and proclaim that. That the joy that you desire, though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's it. That's what he does. That's what he gives us. Right, when we talk about what comes from the resurrection of what Jesus does is this glorious hope that he gives us. This wonderful future far beyond anything we can imagine. He removes all our fears of death and being uh, isolated and rejection and all those things that we try to get in our life. And Jesus says, I've got you. I've got every bit of it and I love you more than you would ever know. And so as we end this morning, as we sing some more songs, as we take communion together, as we celebrate what Christ has done, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest news in all the world. I can't say it anymore. It's not hyperbole. It's not being overdramatic. This is not just trying to throw it out there because Jesus gives you a perfect future and a hope that doesn't disappoint and a joy that is beyond all expression filled with glory. That is why the resurrection is the greatest thing in the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us, that although we are sinful people that have ignored you in your world over and over and over again, that we deserve to put be, to be put away from you, that you love us so much that you didn't leave us in that place, but that you came to us and you walked among us and you allowed sinful people to put your only son to death and that you saw fit to accept his perfect sacrifice on our behalf and restore us to you. And to that, we just say, thank you. We praise your name today that only through Jesus that we can have this wonderful hope. And I pray that each person here would experience that through your spirit today, that we would see it fully and completely and it would come into our hearts. The resurrection would be a reality in our hearts today that we'd be so excited about who you are and the future and the hope that we have in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.